And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on Monday, February 13th, 2023. Kicking off the show, a little one thing leads to another by The Fix off the Reach the Beach album. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. We've got a big show to get to. Of course, we've got the Super Bowl. Uh, We've got some NBA. Trade trade deadline came and went last week. Lots of moves in the NBA. We'll focus on the Knicks and the Nets specifically. Uh, And we'll put a little bow around the Lions season since we haven't done uh, a show since before the last game of the year when the Lions played the Packers. So we'll kick it off there. This will be brief, I promise. So for those of you who are sick of the quote-unquote deep thinker, the self-described deep thinker Aaron Rodgers, and we're sick and tired of his nonsense, and frankly seeing the Packers in the playoffs, you're welcome because the Lions beat Green Bay in Green Bay last game of the year in a game that the Packers, had they won, would have been in. The Lions knew earlier in the day that they had been eliminated from the playoffs uh, due to Seattle eking out a win over the Rams. Um, And yet the Lions played that game as if it was their Super Bowl. I thought they would. They did. Uh, You saw, if you watched the game, the sideline reporter asked Dan Campbell what was the motivation, and he's like, we want to knock these guys out. They're a hated division rival. Would expect nothing less from an effort perspective. Lions played a very good game. Even had a couple of, you know, they were legitimate calls, but, you know, had a huge long touchdown play overturned or, sorry, called back due to a penalty, had an interception called back due to a penalty. Um, And yet they persevered. And Dan Campbell, true to his nature and what you love about Dan Campbell, there's several things, but one of the things you really love about him is his sort of controlled aggressiveness when it comes to making decisions as to when to go for it on fourth down uh, and or kick a field goal and or punt other than the real bad hiccup against the Vikings earlier in the year, which sadly ended up really much, pretty much costing them a playoff spot because had they won that game, they would have had 10 wins. And they would have made the playoffs. Um, in that Packers game with a chance to kick a field goal and go up seven with, you know, under two minutes left and which, Every coach that the Lions have ever had prior to Dan Campbell would have done that. They would have elected to kick the field goal. They would have gone up a touchdown, and then the Packers would have come down and scored a touchdown and either gone for two and gotten it or sent the game into overtime and won the game there. And then when they would have gotten questioned after the game as to, well, why didn't you just go for it and get the first down and essentially end the game? Why give Aaron Rodgers another chance? They would have said, well, because we were still up a touchdown. It would have put us up a touchdown. And that's sure that that there's an I guess an argument to be made for that, except if you're the Lions and you understand the Lions' history. And so Dan Campbell seems to get this. And the Lions went for it on fourth and one, threw the ball, didn't run it, got it relatively easily. A little button hook, DJ Chark, boom, first down, game over. And there were many, many things this season. That occurred that let that lead one to believe. If you've been a fan for as long as I have, which we're on forty plus years now, that things are different with this coaching staff and this team, and that was one of them. So an excellent end to the season by my Lions. Really sad to see the the, the season finish. I mean, they went eight and two in their last ten games. They had some thrilling victories. 
on the road at it was great it was great and what you love about this team is it's young it's young tons of young players on defense plenty of young players on offense even Jared Goff who it would appear at least for the foreseeable future is the quarterback now moving forward I mean what do you have 32 touchdowns seven interceptions something like that you know he was a top 10 quarterback this year not saying that's who he is all the time, but he played very well this year. I think he's proven that with the right pieces around him, which the Lions have, really good offensive line, some playmakers on at receiver, at running back, um, you can win with him. So, uh, and he's 28. So the, the, the future certainly would appear bright. Okay, we'll move on. Now go to the Super Bowl. So Chiefs win 38-35. Very exciting game. Chiefs got down early, down 10 at halftime. Well, it was 7-7 right out of the gates, but uh, down 10 at halftime. Philly looked like they were going to have their way with them. The Chiefs battled back. You got to give Mahomes a ton of credit. I mean, listen, I, I don't know how hurt the ankle is, right? We all know high ankle sprains take a long time to heal. Uh, clearly, he was better than he was in the AFC Championship game. He had the benefit of an extra week of rest. Um, but just in general, I mean, the guy makes... I mean, his numbers weren't gaudy, right? He didn't even have 200 yards passing. But, you know, short control passing game. Give Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, a lot of credit for their game plan. Everybody knows Philly has a very good pass rush. And, you know, a lot of people are putting that on the Eagles' defensive line. They didn't have any sacks yesterday. Well... I mean, Mahomes getting out the ball out of his hands quickly. And the Chiefs also ran the ball effectively. Uh, and, you know, it's Isaiah Pacheco, uh, you know, seventh-round pick out of Rutgers, uh, you know, had a really nice game for them. And they mixed in, you know, a little uh, Jarek McKinnon in there as well. Mahomes had that one big run scramble late in the game. Um, but a couple of things really turned this whole game. Right? The Nick Bolton touchdown – Right, defensive touchdown for the Chiefs, tied the game. Where maybe Philly has a chance to go down the field and score again. So that could have been a 14-point swing, maybe you know a 10-point swing if Philly kicks a field goal. So that was huge. And if you look recent history in Super Bowls, the teams that score a defensive touchdown or score points on defense win the game. Right, you can go back to the James Harrison play. What was that in 2008? where he intercepted the ball on basically on the goal line against uh, Kurt Warner and the Cardinals and returned it 100 yards, 99 yards for a touchdown. That was definitely a 14-point swing. Steelers won that game. You look, the Saints, right? Um, uh, who was the kid corner at it? At Tracy Porter, uh, corner at Indiana, played for the Saints. Pick six against Eli Manning. Put a ball on that. Tampa Bay, I think, scored more than one defensive touchdown against the Raiders. When I mean, basically, they had the Raiders plays <laughs> um, because Gruden had coached the Raiders the year before and then went to Tampa Bay and was their coach the year after. Um, yeah, the Giants getting the safety against uh, Brady in the second Super Bowl that they beat the Patriots in. So um, I'm trying to remember if there were others that I'm forgetting. Did the Patriots score any defensive touchdowns and the, the ones that they won? None come to mind. Um, 
But in any event, generally bodes well. You score, you score on defense bodes well, and that certainly held true last night. Uh, and then, of course, the defensive holding call at the end. A lot of people did not like it, thought it was a terrible call. Listen, I've seen way worse call than that. Now, you know, you want to use the argument that, well, on the biggest stage, the player should First of all, it didn't decide the game. Did it totally steer the, in favor of the Chiefs because they went on to uh, be able to get a fresh set of downs there and then bleed the clock and kick a field goal? Uh, and that basically Philly didn't get the ball back for the rest of the game. They ran, you know, one desperation play at the end. Sure, but... I mean, the Chiefs were still going to kick a field goal there. Um, yes, Philly would have had a lot more time, but there's no guarantee that the Eagles go down and either kick a field goal or a tie or score a touchdown and win the game. No guarantee. I mean, yeah, look, Philly, Philly's offense played very well. Jalen Hurts had a hell of a game. Other than that one fumble, which is a huge, you know, it's obviously a huge play in the game and a field goal game, a defensive touchdown, on a play where, you know, he didn't even get hit. He just dropped the ball, literally. Um, so, look, he had a great game. He ran the ball, threw the ball, you know, had a couple of big deep shots to A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith made plays. Hertz was very good. First of all, by, by the way, just a quick sidebar here. The, the NFL needs to get rid of this nonsense, this pushing the quarterback garbage on these goal line plays and these third and fourth and shorts. It's got to stop. This is not rugby, ladies and gentlemen, Okay. This is complete and utter garbage. And if I'm not mistaken, that used to be a penalty. You used to not be able to gain yardage if you were uh, assisted by a teammate. That used to, I believe that used to be a penalty. And I think this goes back, weirdly, maybe even to college with the quote-unquote Bush push when Reggie Bush pushed Matt Leinart over the end zone, over the goal line into the end zone in the big game against Notre Dame all those years ago. And I think people on the Notre Dame side were upset about that too, not getting called. And I think they actually had a right to be. And you, if you ever listen to this show, you know I'm no Notre Dame fan. And I'm actually a USC fan. But um, so I, they, they, that, you know, competition committee and the NFL wants to look at everything every year and have points of emphasis. How about that? How about we get rid of this garbage where, you know, a 280-pound tight end lines up behind a quarterback and then just shoves him. I mean, there was a play last night in the game where the Chiefs player, I think it was a D lineman, timed it up perfectly and stoned Jalen Hurts on the play. But then, you know, two guys on Philly end up pushing him forward for first down. That's junk. It's not in the spirit of the rule. It's not how the game's supposed to be played. It's total junk. It needs to go. All right. Get off my soapbox now. Um, but, uh, you know, look. It, Philly's defense, again, which was great all year, particularly that D-line, uh, was not great yesterday. But again, give the, the Chiefs a lot of credit for that. And give Andy Reid a lot of credit. Look, Andy Reid has come under fire throughout the course of his career, and justifiably so, for being a poor game clock manager, uh, among other things. He seems to have gotten that cleaned up since he's been in Kansas City. Now, yes, I understand Mahomes certainly will will cover up for a lot of mistakes because he's just that good. Um, But, you know, look, that's two Super Bowl wins now and three. They've made it three times. They've won two of the three times. Uh, Andy Reid's track record 
Now, you look at his overall body of work. He's very good with Philly. I know he can never get over the hump. Philly fans must chap their ass right now, and I don't blame him. That, you know, he can never get it done for them. And now he's got two out of three in Kansas City. And, of course, one coming at the Eagles' expense. And, look, I get it. If you're a Philly fan, you're going to be furious about that call. And that's, that's fine. Uh, James Bradbury admitted he grabbed—I mean, he did. He grabbed the guy. I mean, he full-on grabbed the guy twice, really. Grabbed him early, had a jersey, and then got the arm sort of around the hip. I mean, it's passing—it's it's a hold. I mean, it is. It's a little ticky-tack. Okay. But, again, not, not the worst call I've ever seen. Certainly, you can make an argument for throwing the flag in that spot. I understand the thought that you don't want to see that decide— a game, again, didn't totally decide the game. The game was not over because of that, right? Even if they get off the field there, the game's not over. It doesn't guarantee Philly winning the game. They're still going to have to come down and either kick a field goal tie and send a game in overtime. Or, by the way, depending on how much time was left on the clock, maybe they kick a field goal. Maybe, maybe Kansas City gets the ball. But we've seen Patrick Mahomes not need a whole lot of time to go get Butker into field goal range to kick a game-winning field goal. So, um, did not guarantee anybody anything. Uh, also, by the way, atrocious job NFL for that field that was out there last night in Arizona. Atrocious. So, guys slipping and sliding all over the place. Ridiculous. People want to get mad about something. Get mad about that. That the biggest game of the year that they put all this attention to and all the nonsense and the hoopla and all the junk that leads up to this game. And you can't have a field that's suitable for play in Arizona? Of all places, terrible, terrible job. And by the way, one of the few good things Fox did in that broadcast last night was point that out. I mean, I got to tell you, this <laughs> watching these games, boy, it is. It, I mean, Greg Olson just will not shut up. I mean, seems like a nice guy. You know, he was in. The, he had a nice NFL career. Um, and Kevin Burkhart, you know, I'm a Mets fan. He started his career out basically, you know, interviewing Mr. Met in the stands. Another nice guy. Uh, they just, they're not great. Sorry. They're just not great. Kevin Burkhart, I mean, it sounds forced. Everything he says to me doesn't sound uh, authentic or natural. Um, you know, Greg Olson is prone. And, and look, this... Part of that's not on Greg Olson, right? That's got to be the producer. And somebody's got to be in his ear telling him less is more. But unfortunately, that's not how any sports are broadcast. Now it's over analysis is, is the norm, unfortunately. And so literally, you know, a three-yard run has to be explained to me for 15 minutes. I mean, it's ridiculous. And he's not the only one guilty of it. It's, it's pervasive throughout the way the NFL gets covered now. It's too bad. But an entertaining Super Bowl nonetheless. And on a personal note, I won a little money on my Super Bowl box. So uh, we'll take that. That was a nice little uh, little added bonus. But an entertaining game, which is good to see. Uh, some, you know, a couple of these games have been clunkers. Last year's game was really good, Cincinnati and, and, and the Rams. And obviously I was very happy because my boy Matthew Stafford got himself a Super Bowl ring and... Uh, you know, was an integral part of that. Um, but, you know, we've had some stinkers. So the, the Chiefs-Tampa Bay one was a bad, un, 
on, it was not a fun game. And the worst one in recent memory was the Rams-Patriots. I mean, that was awful, awful game. All right, we move on to the NBA, where the trade deadline uh, came and went last Thursday. Lots of moves. You know, there, there, there were most of the moves were kind of, you know, interesting here or there. Not many blockbusters, but there was one, and that's local, close to home, and that was the Nets traded Kevin Durant after trading Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving, of course, can't help himself and is Kyrie Irving and demanded a trade. Um, and the Nets acquiesced and finally, you know, and by the way, talk about addition by subtraction. I mean, good riddance. I, I don't care, by the way, if the Mavericks win a championship with him this year, which they're not going to, but even if they did, um, good job by the Nets. And good job by the Nets, by the way, not trading to the Lakers, which apparently was his desired destination. And uh, Joe Sy, the Nets owner, said, I'm, I'm having none of that. So good for him. Um, the Nets got back. Look, they got back old friend Spencer Dinwiddie, Doran Finney-Smith. They got a couple of first-round picks that aren't, you know, they're going to be for three, four years down the road. But, look, they got they got a couple of viable players and some draft picks. Um, that's not bad. I mean, I, look, there's no question about the talent with Kyrie Irving. I mean, when he plays and is motivated and into it, he's, in, he's one of the top ten players in the NBA. The problem is... Is that he is, you know, it, it's quite simple, right? There's all these think pieces out there about, you know, uh, misunderstood Kyrie Irving. And, then, you know, and this is also emblematic of our society at large is where now somehow there has to be two sides to everything. Sometimes there aren't. Sometimes there is just one side. And sometimes what you see is what you get. And Kyrie Irving, for lack of a better word, is just an asshole. That's it. He's just an entitled asshole. Period. End of discussion. You know, and I, 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 you know, I don't want to hear about. Oh well, you know, he's very active in social issues. Great, good for him. Could still be an asshole. Two things can be true at the same time. He's a terrible teammate and a terrible employee. He's unreliable. He's moody. He plays when he feels like it. Everything's about him. Everything's about his feelings and how he feels about certain things and. I mean, he's the worst. And please don't give me the argument that, oh, well, he gives, you know, a lot of, he gives money to charity. Um, That's nice. That's great. Again, two things can be true at the same time. And by the way, he should be giving money. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars in his career. So, you know, I don't want to tell guys what to do with their money. Do whatever you want. But also don't try to take a bunch of credit for doing what you probably should be doing anyway. So he's gone. And then that basically made Kevin Durant say, well, now I'm out. So the next grand experiment, by the way, of KD and Kyrie and then adding James Harden. And then he was there for about 15 minutes and said, get me out of here because I can't stand either of these two clowns. Um, I shouldn't say Durant. Durant's not a clown, but he's another, you know, moody, emo, you know, always always upset about something. Again, great player, no question. But, get you know, always hurt, gets hurt a lot. Not that young anymore. What is he, about 34 now? A lot of miles, a lot of tread on the tires, but still a very, very good player when he plays. Better than very good, great player when he plays. But so he wanted out. 
And Phoenix, new owner, as of like yesterday, basically, decide they want to go for it. They've got three great players. Well, Chris Paul's not great anymore, but he's still really good. And they've got uh, Bridges, and they've got Aiton, and now they've got Kevin Durant. I mean, they've got four guys that are, you know, dangerous. And, uh, I mean, not Bridges, Booker. They got, they traded Mikel Bridges to the Nets. Player I love, guy the Nets, the Nets, the Knicks should have drafted rather than Kevin Knox um, a few years back. Guy who's a, you know, first team all NBA defense guy. Guy whose offense has gotten better and better every year. And a guy, if you just got another one who, if you look just in the box score sometimes, it does not tell the story of the impact Mikel Bridges has. He is a winning player. Plus, they got Cam Johnson in that trade, too. Is certainly has some upside. Also got some draft picks. It's a very good trade for the Nets. And the Nets now are a very watchable, fun, exciting team to watch again. Uh, Cam Thomas has been a revelation. He had three 40-point games in a row. Uh, now, he's going to have to adjust because the league's going to adjust to him. And it's interesting. The other night, now after everybody cleared their physicals, uh, Jacques Vaughn didn't even start him. He came off the bench, but he had, like I think, like 17 points in 20 minutes or something like that. Or 14 points in 18 minutes is what it was. Um, so, look, if at worst he's like a, you know, sort of a microwave type, you know, old school Vinnie Johnson, you know, scorer, six-man type off the bench, I guess for a more recent analogy, you could use like a Jamal Crawford, I guess, although that's not even that recent <laughs> anymore either. Um, like a Jordan Clarkson, shall we say. That's That's fine. And you've got Spencer Dinwiddie and you've got Nick Claxton and you've got Bridges um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Cam Johnson, Finney Smith, who's a very good defender. Nets, Nets going to be tough to score on. They've got a bunch of guys. They can run five guys at you that are all 6'5 or, or, or taller with long arms that all play defense. Um, so they're, they're, they've become fun. I understand that they're not a championship contender. Guess what? They were a championship contender on paper only with Kyrie and, uh, with Kyrie and KD anyway. So, that was never happening. So, I think the Nets did well in both trades. And, look, they are, I think, what, fifth in the conference maybe now, right? They're 10, 11 games over 500. This idea that they're going to, like, sink like a stone. uh, No. First of all, it's not that many games left. It's like 24, 25 games left in the season. Uh, They go 500. They're going to finish in the top six. And I think they will easily finish 500 down the stretch. In fact, they play the Knicks tonight. Um, Knicks are at home. Knicks have been a terrible home team. They're 500 at home, uh, which is ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to be a good team, you need to be at least 10 games over 500, at least. Um, and you would think this would be a, Knicks, a game the Knicks should win, right? Now that you know the net stars are gone. Uh, I'm nervous. I, I don't. I have no guarantee the Knicks are going to win this game at all. Which brings us to the Knicks, who Julius Randle said this a few weeks ago, and he's right. I mean, the Knicks can beat anyone. They can lose to anyone. And they've had a bunch of games this year where they've had big leads early in games, big leads late in games, blown them. Some of the games they've hung on for dear life and won, but a bunch of them they've let slip away. A Dallas game comes to mind. Clippers game recently comes to mind where they were down big and then they went up and then they had a foul to give up three and then they didn't foul. 
And then, of course, they didn't secure a defensive rebound. The ball makes its way over to Nick Batum, who's, you know, average at best three-point shooter. And, of course, he drills it to send the game into overtime. And you knew right then and there the Knicks had no shot at winning that game in overtime. Uh, and they didn't. They, they, they had all the air went out of the balloon after that happened, with, after they went to overtime. The Knicks barely even showed up for overtime. So they've had a lot of games like that. Uh, the Knicks are four games over 500. They should probably be at minimum eight to ten games over 500. Because it's not like the Knicks in their wins have had games where they've come back from massive deficits to win the game. Yeah, they came back from a 17-point deficit to take the lead against the Clippers, but they couldn't close the deal. And, you know, the Knicks' biggest problem is, listen, Jalen Brunson's been great. He... He's been great, and he's been worth every penny that the Knicks gave him. And in fact, he's going to look underpaid. But he's not a true number one. He's a number two. And then their number two is Julius Randle. He's really a number three. And then the, who the Knicks think is their third best player is R.J. Barrett, is at best a sixth man. At best. R.J. Barrett actually stinks. He has regressed tremendously this year. His plus-minus is atrocious, game in and game out. Now, I understand the plus-minus is sometimes a bit subjective. And sometimes, you know, he's in the game a lot. Thibodeau likes to play him with the, with the, with the bench a lot. And so sometimes, you know, and plus-minus means that the Knicks, you know, get outscored when he's on the floor. But, I mean, even in games where he has a good box score, I think it was actually the last time the Knicks played the Nets. And they played him without Durant. Irving played, and Knicks had no uh, no answers for Irving, and amongst others, the Nets made millions of threes against the Knicks that game. Um, you know, RJ's not—I think he was like you know nine for 16, 24 points, five assists, five rebounds. He was a minus twenty. I, I mean, the guy's just not that good. He's just not good at anything. He's not above average at anything. He's not a great shooter, not a great three-point shooter, not a great finisher, not a great dribbler, not a great passer. His defense has been terrible this year. Terrible. I mean, even Clyde Drex, uh, Clyde Drex, Clyde Frazier pointed it out. Who's, you know, Mr. Pom-Pom's Nick, which I don't blame him for. That's fine. He even pointed it out. And somebody brought it up to, to Thibodeau that, oh, you know, the metrics make him, and, you know, of course, Thibodeau shot it down, which, look, that's smart to do, right? Publicly defend your player, particularly somebody who supposedly is part of your core. But, uh, I mean, he is he's just not that good. He's not. And, you know, Quentin Grimes, who I love, who the Knicks didn't want to give up to get Donovan Mitchell. Well, you should have probably given him up for Donovan Mitchell if you're never going to run a play for the guy. He gets eight shots a game. Everything he gets are scraps. He's the best perimeter defender the Knicks have. Maybe now that they just got Josh Hart, very solid player, also from Villanova, Jalen Brunson's teammate at Villanova. Maybe they're about tied now. And I love that move. Josh Hart's not a star by any stretch, but he's averaging, what, 10 points, 8 rebounds for a guard. He's 6'5", long arms, 4 assists, plays great defense, impacted the game right away. Again, Similar to Mikael Bridges now on the Nets, also another Villanova player, by the way. You're seeing a pattern here. These Villanova guys, Jay Wright coached them up. They're all coming in the league. Sadiq Bey, who the Hawks just got, who I wanted the Knicks to get. Another guy who's a winning-type player. None of these guys are superstars, but they, are, they, they, they stay two, three years. 
Jay Wright was a great coach. They won two national championships there. They're you know in make late season runs every year in a tournament. They're you know they're from winning programs. They're unselfish. They're hard nosed. They're smart. And Josh Hart certainly fits the description of that. So that was a nice acquisition, I thought, for the Knicks. So the Knicks right now, I think, are in, they are in seventh place. They're trying to avoid the play-in, right? This new thing that the NBA adopted a couple of years ago to prevent teams from tanking that were not that were out of the eighth spot. Four games over 500 should have a better record. I looked at their schedule. They've got 26 games left, I believe. 13 and 13 would get them to, let's take a look here. Get them to what? I think, hang on. Let's take a quick glance. I think they're 31 and 27. So that's what, 31, 58? Yeah, so they have 24, sorry, 24 games left. 24 games left. So 12 and 12 would get them 43 wins. I mean, they're two games in the loss column behind the Heat for that sixth spot. But the Hawks are right on their tail at 29 and 28, and the Hawks give the Knicks fits. Um... You know, the Raptors are four games behind. The Wizards are only two. You know, the Knicks, again, are close to the Heat. Only two games behind them, and they beat them recently. And then they're four behind the Nets. I mean, this would be a nice game. The Nets are 10 games over, by the way, right now. This would be a nice win for the Knicks to get tonight. Really nice win. It's a game, really, they kind of have to have. I mean, 24 games, still a lot of games. I looked at the schedule. I, I, I see 12 and 12, 13 and 11 I'd be thrilled with. But I think that's who the Knicks are. They're a 42 to 45 win team. I mean, that, that's who they are. And look, it gives me no pleasure to say that RJ Barrett isn't any good. He's a third pick in the draft. I want him to be good. And he has the right attitude. You know, he doesn't make excuses. He's accountable. He's a hard worker. I, I want I want him to be the answer. He just I just have to go by what I see. You know, not what I want to see, but what I see. And what I see is a guy who's just not that good. And Quentin Grimes should be playing over him. I mean, at the end of games now, the Knicks five at the end of games to close out a close game should be Brunson, Josh Hart, Quentin Grimes, Julius Randle, and then take your pick one of the three centers. Whoever's got the hot hand that night, whoever's playing well. I mean, look, Mitch Robinson is hurt right now, so he's not in the mix. But between Sims, who I love, and Hartenstein, whoever's playing better at the time or whatever the matchups dictate, that's who, you, that's who your fifth guy is. But, I mean, that's... I, I would probably defer more to, to Sims. He's a better defender, better rebounder than Hartenstein. Hartenstein's got a little bit more skill offensively, although Sims is very good at you know, rolling to the basket and, get, and and dunking the ball, which he did the other night. Huge. When the Knicks held off the Magic, who, by the way, been playing much better. I know their overall record is terrible, but they're a talented, young, talented team, and they've been playing much better lately. Um, that's who I'd like to see finish a game. You know, and and, and look, I, I know people love Quickly, too. Quick, quickly, is, you know, he's a nice little exciting player. 
Again, he's like a spark plug off the bench. And okay, he can finish a game out every now and then if he's really got the hot hand going, but he's very streaky. You know, he has games where he looks great, and then he has games where he can't hit the broad side of a barn. And by the way, that's most of the Knicks. That's why they are who they are. You know, Brunson, again, is probably is, is their most consistent player. And he's been great. I mean, look, what is he having? 22 points, 7 assists, and a bunch of games over 30 points. I mean, he's been, listen, he's been, other than a couple of uncharacteristic late fourth quarter missed foul shots that cost the Knicks a game or two, he's been, he's been everything you want and more. He's been phenomenal. He's been great. You know, problem is Julius Randle, who puts up great numbers. I mean, his numbers this year are fantastic, right? What is he having? 24 points, 11 rebounds, 4 or 5 assists. Playing great, but he's bad late in games. He speeds himself up. You know, Jalen Brunson has the ability to slow the game down and always has. And if you ever, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I talked lovingly about him five years ago, whenever it was, when he came out of college. Now, I got a little probably over my skis and said he'd have a better pro career than Trey Young. By the way, he's not that far behind, though. I mean, I, I didn't like Trey Young coming out of college, and I still don't like him. I find him annoying. He's not easy to root for. It's his on-court demeanor. But he's obviously very talented. But I didn't think, I thought at his size and sort of the reckless way he played in college, I didn't think it would translate to the NBA. That's a bad, that's my bad. I mean, the, 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 the way the league is designed now is set up perfectly for guys like him because you can't play defense anymore in the NBA. I mean, Trey Young would have never made it at, through, through past more than two, three years in the 90s, in the NBA, early 2000s. Forget about the 80s. Not a chance. But in today's soft league where everything's a foul and you can't guard guys shooting threes anymore because, God forbid, you know, they, 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 they graze you as they finish their shot and come down. That's somehow now a flagrant foul. I mean, it's a joke. The NBA's really, it's, 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 a, it's not a great product now. I mean, they, 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 they've softened the league so much now. It's, it's pathetic. But, you know, I said Brunson would have a better career than Trey Young and Trey Young would be out of the league in three years. I, I look dumb for saying that. But I was not dumb for saying how much I thought Jalen Brunson would be, A, undervalued, he was, second-round pick, and that he would be a really good pro. And he's been, he's been even better than I thought he'd be. But, I mean, the rest of the Knicks are highly inconsistent. You see Julius Randle. He gets the ball late in games in pressure situations, and he speeds himself up. He panics. He tries to go too fast. He tries to do too much. He's got to let the game, the game do less. Like in the movie uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where Paul Rudd's the surf instructor and he's trying to teach Jason Siegel how to search and he keeps telling him, do less, do less. When he's trying to get up on the board. That's what Julius Randle needs. He needs to do less, dude. Slow it down. So, you know, the Knicks have basically one reliable go-to guy late in games, and that's Jalen Brunson which is more than they had last year. And I will say this. We're going to be fair, and we like to be fair here. We're going to be fair. Barrett does have a penchant, shall we say, or an ability to look terrible for three and a half quarters and be two for ten, and he will make some big late-game baskets. If you swing the ball to him and he's wide open, he will make some from time to time. But not, not enough for my taste. And by the way, he spent, you spend half, three quarters of the game down because he can't make a, anything. Because he's two for 14 for the first, you know, 40 minutes of the game. <laughs> I 
So, look, I like the fact that the Knicks are still not going for the quick fix. You heard Thibodeau before the trade deadline say it. We love love our team. We have a lot of good young players who we think are going to get better. And when he says that, he has to be referring to Quentin Grimes and quickly. I don't think Toppin. Toppin seems to be a bad fit on this team, particularly because Julius Randle is there blocking him. But he's got to be referring to to Grimes and uh, quickly and Jericho Sims and uh, even Miles McBride, who now is going to be relegated to the bench again with the addition of Josh Hart. Um, you know, maybe even Mitchell Robinson. I mean, Mitchell Robinson, I think, is still only like 24 years old. Now, he's another one who can never stay healthy. Uh, but he's improved uh, a ton since he's come into the league. So I, I like it. And, and look, Brunson's only 26. So... You know, I, was it a missed opportunity not getting Donovan Mitchell in the offseason? Probably. But if the rumors are true that they were going to have to give up Grimes and McBride and like three first-round picks, I mean, that's a lot. And I what, listen, I love Donovan Mitchell. Nick should have drafted him too, and they could have. Right? Phil Jackson with his big middle finger on his way out the door told him to take Frank Nilakina instead. Because, because because Donovan Mitchell was a tweener and could he run the triangle offense? Idiots. <laughs> Knicks. Only the Knicks. But what's, you know, would a Brunson Mitchell backcourt be great? Sure. With, you know, Barrett and Randall and whomever at center. Yeah, that's that's a 50 win team. It's not a championship team. It's not. Probably a 50-win team that maybe wins you a round in the in the first, gets out of the first round of the playoffs. But look, the Knicks need another piece for sure, like a star caliber player. Um, and, and by the way, I assume Thibodeau's talk, talking about Barrett too. He thinks Barrett can get better. Maybe he can. I think this is his ceiling because he's just you know he's not again. He's, there's nothing that he's really good at. Like, he's not super athletic. He's okay, but he's not super athletic. I mean, Grimes is a more, better athlete than, than, than Barrett is. Grimes is much better at taking a ball to the hole and, and finishing at the rim than Barrett is. Barrett stinks at that. He's terrible. Barrett's got to be shooting 50% on layup attempts, which is horrendous. Um, so they're definitely a piece away, but I, I think they're doing it the right way. And look, maybe one of these years, God forbid, the Knicks get a Kawhi Leonard. Or Donovan Mitchell. You know, they draft somewhere in the mid-teens or low-20s. And they get one of these guys that, that you know, maybe, again, not his first or second year. I mean, remember, Jonas Antetokounmpo was not a star his first couple years in the league. He grew into one. And look, maybe I'm just seeing what I want to see with Quentin Grimes. I, I think he, I don't know, he's a, I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar. But he has, to me, he could be a guy that averages 20 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and plays great defense. He could be a really good NBA player, I think. He just needs opportunity. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, peace out.